Hello, everyone, and welcome to Litigation Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scriven-Young. I'm a commercial and environmental litigator in the Chicago office of Picar and Abramson, which is recognized as the largest law firm serving the construction industry with 115 lawyers and 11 offices around the U.S. On this show, we talk to the country's top litigators and judges to discover best practices in developing our careers, winning cases, getting more clients, and building a sustainable practice. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app to make sure you're getting updated with future episodes. This podcast is brought to you by the litigation section of the American Bar Association. It's where I make my home in the ABA. The litigation section provides litigators of all practice areas the resources we need to be successful advocates for our clients. Learn more at ambar.org litigation. Part of our mission here at Litigation Radio is to help litigators build a sustainable practice, one in which we serve our clients well and in a way that ensures that we continue to focus on our own well-being, our relationships, and other things like hobbies. Living a well-rounded life helps us to avoid burnout and actually gives us fuel to do what we can accomplish every day as litigators. And so as we begin 2023, we wanted to delve deeper into this topic and discuss ideas and technology that we can use to build a sustainable practice. We've invited our friends from the ABA Center for Innovation to visit with us to provide us with 10 or maybe more technology tips to help us in 2023. So let me introduce our guest. First, we have Don Bivens. He's a litigator who has recently brought his 40 years of experience in big law litigation to his boutique law firm. Don has been named Lawyer of the Year three times in financial and banking regulation. He has chaired the ABA litigation section and currently serves as a chair for the ABA Center for Innovation. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. I'm a fan and I'm glad to, uh, to be participating today. Kimberly Bennett is a lover of technology, legal industry disruptor, speaker, and an attorney who runs K. Bennett Law LLC, a boutique virtual trademark and business strategy law practice. She's also the founder of the client experience platform Fadu. Kim joined the Center for Innovation Governing Council in 2021 and helped author the inaugural Innovation Trends Report. Welcome, Kim. Great to have you on the show today. Hello. Thanks for having me. Joe Rosinski is a global leader in leveraging emerging technologies to improve economic competitiveness, equity, and business resilience. He delivers actionable and forward-thinking technological intelligence with a focus on future trends guidance shaping the world. Joe joined the Center for Innovation Governing Council in 2020, and he also helped author the inaugural Innovation Trends Report and has also helped create the YouTube series Innovation and You. Joe, welcome to the show. Dave, great to be here. Thank you so much. And finally, we have Joey Gartner. He's a self-described misfit lawyer who is passionate about helping lawyers and the public find better ways to deliver and receive legal services. Joey serves as a director for the American Bar Association Center for Innovation. And prior to joining the center, he focused his career on legal operations and regulatory compliance at several law firms and a legal startup. Joey, so glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Dave, thank you so much for having us. So, Don, why don't we start with you? Tell us a little bit about the ABA Center for Innovation. Well, I happen to be the chair, uh, the attorney volunteer who is the chair of the ABA uh, Center for Innovation. Uh, also with us today, Joey Gardner is the uh, the director. You'll hear from him, too. But the Center for Innovation is that part of the American Bar Association that is really focused on the intersection of technology, regulatory reform, finding ways to bring justice to more people at a at a better price point, and uh, and encouraging lawyers to be ready to, to not practice law the same way that Abraham Lincoln did 150 years ago, which in many ways, at least as a trial lawyer, I still do. 
And Joey, as the executive director of the center, tell us what your role is and how the ABA Center for Innovation um, helps the members of the ABA. Sure. So I, I'm, I'm here at the uh, Center for Innovation where I serve as our director. We are a very small but very close-knit team who uh, is supported by a governing council of about 20 ABA members from all walks of the profession, from litigators to judges to transactional attorneys. We, we cover the gamut here, and we're actually going to have some of those uh, for you as a guest today. You know, the center is the collaborative home where we like to think about the future of the profession. And what we really are passionate about is helping consumers access lawyers and finding ways for lawyers to really practice at the highest end of their license. So what that means is what can we do, whether it's technology, whether it's design, whether it's regulation, that will help lawyers be in a position to really take advantage of all of those tools and provide the best services for their clients but also for themselves and build practices that are sustainable and built for the future. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get into the rapid fire format here. We're going to give uh, 10 or maybe more tech tips on how to build a sustainable practice. So Joe, let's bring you into the conversation. Let's talk about tip number one, which is AI brief writing. So yes, indeed. We've heard it before. I mean, AI is in some ways, poised to take over the world. We sometimes get a little bit nervous about this, but this year in particular was a year that there were major leaps forward in projects like Chat GPT and Dolly 2, which are more creative ways of interacting with AI. But so for the moment, AI can be your friend. Now, how can it be your friend in the legal framework? Well, there's AI brief writing. And it is an incredible way for some small or solo firms without the institutional knowledge or research of large firms to benefit from these types of tools. Now, the way I like to think about this is what do they do? What can they do for you as a solo or small firm? Well, automatically tailor searches for specific fact patterns to add case law. That's one. Two, automatically, yes, automatically find all relevant cases clearly that are important because you don't want to miss a thing. And three, the way I like to think about this is it allows you to instantly find on-point case law by searching your legal issues in a sentence, right? So this is so much better than the early days where you had Boolean searches. And that's kind of a pain. It still works, but it's kind of a pain. So the way I like to think about this is, we have a tool time and tool time says that with AI brief writing, here are three examples. So case text is one, clear brief is another, and law y'all is another one that might be helpful for people to start to think about in this space around AI brief writing. And is the AI going to take over my computer? Am I going to have like a Terminator experience since it's automatically? Tell me um, how, how exactly um, we can use it. Is it something that will write a brief for you or is it just a research tool? So there's a potential to move down the line with it being able to write a little bit more. So when you start seeing things come up like this chat GPT, where you basically create certain ideas or thoughts that you type in, in time, you're going to start to see this actually generate 
documents, which is a little bit frightening. But as I've always said to people, it's something to keep an eye on. Right now, it's your friend. Use it, but don't abuse it <laughs> because you don't want to be that person, that guy who right now is kicking the Boston Dynamics robots. You've probably seen this, Dave, where the, the robot's being kicked down and it pops right back up because in 10 years or so, you're going to see that AI becomes a little bit more uh, sentient in some ways. And uh, it's going to know who's been good and bad, kind of like Santa. <laughs> Got it. All right. So tip number two, we'll go to Kim. And I think we're going to talk about scheduling tools. So how can we better use technology to uh, schedule what we're up to every day? Yeah. So I would say, I think for me, some of the fear of embracing technology stems from just not thinking about the day-to-day pain points that you're having and just thinking like technology is going to take over everything. I love AI. I'm a total fan of AI. I think everyone should embrace AI. But if you're on that path and you're not sure where to go, well, one major pain point we all have is managing our calendars. And I think scheduling is a good way to bring technology, if you haven't yet already, to bring it into your toolkit immediately to alleviate issues that comes with like sending emails back and forth, you know, um, you know, a, a client trying to um, access your schedule. I, I love seeing courts using, you know, scheduling tools to bring more efficiency and effectiveness to how the community engages with the court system. So I'm a big fan of scheduling tools just from a day-to-day like life and well-being perspective, but then also from an effectiveness and like leveraging what what these type of tools can be connected to as well. So um, yeah, scheduling tools. So things like Calendly, Acuity, um, some some platforms have them built in. Those are some some great examples of tools. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. I use Calendly every day, and I think it's something that has brought a lot of ease, reduced pain, and brought a lot of frictionless experiences to the people that I work with every day. And I think that's so important. So that's what I would uh, go with as at least a baseline tool that we'll take from AI to the other side of uh, moving in this, this direction. And I would just add, if you are on uh, Google Teams, which a lot of firms have sort of built into their Google Office package, you have a tool called Booking. And Booking is a way to essentially provide a digital calendar for anyone to book time with you. And it is a very cool, straightforward tool. It integrates with your Outlook, and it's going to feel very seamless for you. I love that. And I'm a total Mac person. So... <laughs> My tools will be totally Mac friendly. (laughs) Nice. All right. Well, Joey, since you jumped in, uh, let's go uh, with you with our third tip, which deals with chatbots. What's that all about? All right. So anyone who's talked to me knows that one of the things I find most interesting is chatbots and how AI can have conversations for you. But when you think about chatbots in the context of your firm, there are a lot of areas where you kind of have repetitive transactions that aren't necessarily... uh, are kind of friction points for you, right? And one of those is always going to be client intake, gathering information, gathering data, gathering documents. And that is an area where companies like LawDroid or Lex Reception or Smith AI can actually build an interactive conversation that will take your client through an intake. So it's going to ask all the questions that you would normally ask as an attorney when a client comes to you with a potential claim. And it's going to be able to suss out that information for you and 
These are really cool tools. Uh, Patrick Pallas, who serves as our vice chair here at the Center for Innovation, actually worked with Lawdroid to create what he referred to as the PatBot. And it's a really great intake tool, but it's also a really great marketing tool because if someone's interacting with this and gathering information, and that is providing some basic information and value to uh, a client, then that's going to automatically increase your view as the attorney to this client and is going to be a huge marketing boost for you as well. And do people actually use chatbots? I always wonder, because I go to websites and I see a question pop up and I know it's a bot and I'm always hesitant to, to use it. So do clients or potential clients actually use these things? One of the things we're finding, especially post-pandemic, and, and you see this with a lot of data that's come out in the last two years, is that consumers are looking for the most frictionless experience possible, right? We're all very accustomed to being home and doing things on our phone. And oftentimes that means you don't want to necessarily talk to someone. So it's a great starting point. Now, Dave, it's certainly not going to replace the direct interaction and conversation that you're going to be able to have with a potential client, but it's a really good starting point. And the technology, as Joe pointed out earlier, has really come a long way in the last few years. And these feel like very natural language conversations now. It's not the chatbots of 10 years ago where it feels really clunky and awkward and, and you put something in and get a very different response that's unrelated. Sure. That makes sense. All right. Uh, so we'll go back to Joe for our, our fourth tip, which deals with email workflows. What do you have for us there? Well, Dave, let me ask you a question. Do you like email? Uh, I like that <laughs> I can use it and I like the ability to talk to people without having to do it face to face. But I have a Gmail inbox that is overflowing with lots of emails from various sites that I get newsletters from and that sort of thing. So that is actually a big stress point for me. Yeah, no question. I think you're going to find that people either love it or they hate it. But for now, it's it's here to stay. And the idea is we have to figure out this email situation, like how you need to figure out how it works and in your daily life and how you actually will be able to interact with it. So there are a bunch of tools out there that can really help you break it down. So first, there's one that's out there called Zapier that I think is really interesting. What it does is it takes about a week and it analyzes all the email that's coming in and it tries to break it down. So it's monitoring things and it breaks it down into four different buckets. One is what you need to do right away. So what's urgent and what's important. The second is it helps decide what's important and what's not urgent. And then there's a there's a third component that you can do is delegate. So it helps you figure out whether or not it's urgent and then not important. And lastly, my favorite, the delete. So it knows that it's not urgent nor important, so it can automatically delete that. Now, what's great about that, once you've categorized these things, is that you can leverage the tools inside of Microsoft, if you have that suite, or if you have the free suite that Google offers, there's rules that will help you route things in its proper place. You can help build those things out. One other quick tool that I'll mention uh, is leveraging a tool, something called Smartsheet which allows you to create workflows that trigger based on specific things, predetermined criteria that you've decided are important, uh, a contact, someone reaches out to you, you know that it should go to a specific person in the business, or preference or other customized data. So all of that makes it so that it's far more automated, which is really neat to see. So the last thing I'll mention is in terms of tools that are out there, in terms of around email workflows, Dashboard Legal is one, Zapier is two, and Smartsheet is yet another one that's out there. Perfect. All right. So for the fifth tip, let's go to Kim. I have sales CRM on this list. So tell us about that because we don't 
often talk about sales a lot when we're talking about uh, being an attorney, but you know what? Litigators got a bill and we got to get the money in. So tell us about sales CRM. Yeah, I'm a big fan of a sales CRM for um, a law practice because we are businesses first. I know I sometimes get slack on that. Businesses first, law firm second. You have to be sustainable here and you need to you know, track your, your pipeline and know what's happening there. But I, I, if I can, I just want to jump in and say email workflows, super fan, want to drop in on another tool, which would be Missive app. If you have a lot of like shared inboxes, it's another great one for shared inboxes to manage your email and your workflow. So I, I, I love that discussion that just happened because- I'm always trying to achieve inbox zero. Finally got it again yesterday. I'm trying to keep it for the rest oh, of the year. You. So I'm, I'm a fan. Okay, so my though tip is sales CRMs. And why do I think sales CRMs? Because like I was saying before, you really need to manage your pipeline and know what's coming in, what's coming out. I think for solo and small businesses, you might always like, you know, working, working the client. But ultimately, once that case ends, you need to have another client. And a sales CRM gives you visibility into your pipeline, into the all the potential clients that you might bring into your business and bringing a system, a process around how do you manage that? You know, for example, from someone that calls you that's interested in maybe hiring you for a litigation matter to, to that person that ultimately does hire you, how do you track all those conversations that happen? Maybe it's a quick, quick, you know, response from them, or maybe it takes time because they're interviewing multiple firms or multiple attorneys to decide who's the right one. Well, sales CRM gives you the ability to not rely on your brain as the source of of all the conversations you might have had with that person over the course of a week, a month, you know, two months, three months, whatever the, the time frame was. So big fan of a sales CRM. And there are a ton. It's not, you know, um, something that's new on the market, whether you're looking at things like Clio Grow, if you're already in that Clio, you know, ecosystem or Lawmatics, if you want to add something on, or you want to go outside of the legal space. There's there are tools like Pipedrive or Zenda Cell. There are a lot of tools out there that really allow for you to build and process systems automations and really give you the visibility so that you're building a sustainable and a scalable law firm. So I think that's part of a, for me, embracing tech and building into the future of what the legal industry needs to look like. No, super important uh, for sure. Uh, let's stay with you, Kim, for the sixth tip, automation tools. I know uh, Joe had already mentioned Zapier. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention uh, with automation tools? Yeah, um, I think you have two points of view when you're thinking about building a tech stack and one that helps you grow where you are today and where you want to be. It's um, a tech stack that allows for you to connect other tech tools to them or one that you know houses a lot of what you need to happen inside of one tool and more of like a closed system. So I'm a fan of tech tools that allow for you to connect to other tools so that you can create your best in class tech stack. I don't think everyone has their own and an automation tool gives you the ability to connect two tools that aren't, are not automatically integrated and use things like Joe was saying before, like, like Zapier or make or some other tools that exist. I know like automate just got, was bought by notion. So maybe not automate anymore, but like there are other tools on the market that you can use if this, then that, that allow for you to connect one tool with another so that what was before a manual process now becomes automated, becomes consistent. And I'm a really big fan of repeatable processes. And, you know, we want to deliver similar outputs. Maybe the end the end result isn't the same, but we know we're taking these same steps and these what auto automation tools allows to take out the human error and allow for tech tools to do the administrative things that we shouldn't be doing anymore in the profession. So I'm a big fan. Go find them. 
Kim's hit on a great point, which a lot of this is interconnectivity. You know, if you're using some sort of phone service like Dialpad and you get an incoming call, Zapier can communicate with your CRM and record that number so that if you open a client file, you have all of that information already collected. So there's some really cool interconnectivity here that a lot of these tips are going to have with each other. Well, and that's super important because no matter if you're a small firm attorney or a large firm attorney or anywhere in between, you definitely want to save time. And the last thing that you want to do is duplicate or have to duplicate some of these processes. So it, that that is great um, for me to hear and for our listeners to hear that you definitely can get that connectivity. So let's move on to Joe. You're going to talk about redaction tools for our seventh tip. Absolutely. So clearly redaction tools have uh, some importance in this space, no question. So the way I like to think about this a little bit is we're moving to a time where it's a lot easier than it used to be. And I used to see people hunched over their desk, constantly (laughs) blacking some of this stuff out when they need to, words, phrases, pictures, whatever the case is. Now, I mean, there are many tools out there that will really help push people into far greater efficiency. Uh, so imagine dumping, I guess, all of your documents into a f- and folders into one place. And then you can say, okay, computer, <laughs> almighty computer, can you please redact at scale? And you get to almost three different options. One would be like structured. So think about any structured data, like addresses or social security numbers or names, whatever that is, it, it kind of easily identifies that. And it can blur those types of things out. The second one is unstructured. So phrases or words that are kind of more generalized, but if you find something that says, oh, this is personal or confidential, boom, it takes care of it for you. The last one is kind of going back to the old school way of doing it, and that is the freestyle. So it's just more of a manual process. So that's always there in your back pocket. There's a tool out there called Objective Redact, which kind of does all of that. And then there's some other cool stuff that are coming down the road that I think is phenomenal. Not everyone has to deal with redacting video. Imagine a video that you have that's 30 seconds long and has four or five people that are in it and they're moving around, they're walking down the street or wherever the case is, and you want to blur out their faces. Well, there's tools that will do that for you or blur out a building name or something along those lines. All of that can be done through something called Case Guard. So pretty cool stuff. So back to the tool time, you know, the tools that I like to talk about. Um, the first one I think is standard across the business, but is, is certainly valuable. And that's Adobe. And the second is uh, Objective Redact. And then there's another one called PDF Tron, as well as the last one that I spoke about that does the video redacting, and that's Case Guard. All right. Joey, let's bring you back into the conversation for the eighth tip, and you're going to talk about virtual notebooks. All right. This is something that's really cool. And I only found this out because at one point on a road trip with my nine-year-old, he had a a little, um, it's like a scratch pad, essentially. It's like a little virtual notebook that he can draw on. And I started looking at it and I realized that It has some really cool capability and functionality. And so tools like Rocketbook and Boogie Board are virtual notebooks. And we all know that the law is an industry where a lot of times you may not have your computer with you, especially in the litigation world. You may need to jot down something immediately and you don't have the time to to type it up or put it into your phone. This is a tool that lets you write out a note on a digital notepad. It will then save it for you in this physical notebook, and we'll actually create a searchable database where you can find your notes within this collection of, it's keyword search eventually. So you can find your notes within this tool. And these are really cool tools simply because 
they take something that you're already doing as part of your day and as part of your workflow, and they just create it in a way that it's a little more accessible. It's a little more searchable, and it's going to make your life more efficient at the end of the day. So I'll definitely take getting rid of my legal pad. Totally get that. But my question is with the transcription, I have awful handwriting. So how does, how does that translate? Well, that definitely is one of the challenges. It certainly is going to be easier to read your writing in from a searchable perspective if your handwriting's a little more uh, legible, precise. Yeah. But the good news there is that this, like Joe has pointed out, is a technology that continues to evolve. So it's getting better at reading what my wife would refer to as my chicken scratch, which it couldn't have a few years ago. Got it. Very cool. All right. So let's go to our ninth tip. We'll bring Kim back in uh, to talk about payment tools. I feel like my theme is like um, build your business, organize your sales pipeline, get all those things in. Um, so I'm a big fan of ease of payment. I think Joey talked about it earlier about frictionless experiences. And I think whether you're working on a small litigation matter or to a large one, particularly the small ones, right? Like clients are thinking about their money all the time. Like the bills are going up. I hate hourly, so we're not going to get into that conversation. But more like the idea that you can create ease in how they pay you without it being a, a big roadblock to your delivery of services or a roadblock to them feeling like anxious and concerned. And I think the if Calendly wasn't an easy tool to implement, then I think online payments is then the next easiest, if not probably the easiest on on the on my list at least. And so payment tools, whether you're looking at law pay or, you know, and you know, when payment tools are in, integrated inside of platforms, you know, Clio payments or using legal specific ones, I would say, um, LexCharge, all, all the ones that are out there, there's so many available that that allow headnote, right? That allow for ease of clients to pay us, whether you need to collect it via trust or not. And I think it's one of those things that if we're still collecting paper checks, that's not what a client is used to experiencing in any other part of their world. So we need to bring in the same and similar payment opportunities and payment solutions and payment processors so that it creates ease in the relationship and it and it leverages technology in ways that gives us back time that we should be spending on developing a better strategy, putting together a better, you know, um, a better argument. And so I um, a big fan of, of payment tools and payment processing tools that allow for you to do that. And I love when they even go a little bit step further and provide you other pieces on top of it. You know, ultimately I think payment tools are just important to help you scale and give ease to your client's experience of working with you. And if it's not something that you offer, if you're still doing paper checks, if you're, you know, um, looking for them to transfer in ways that just make it harder, you can eliminate it. A client can still pay you with the check just via ACH payment. It's essentially the exact same thing. So big fan of it. It's a way to bring in technology in an easy way that creates so much impact, not just for the, the team that's providing the services, but for the clients that are, that are receiving your services. And what's cool about this is there's some really cool data now that, that Kim kind of hinted at here that actually shows that firms who are using some sort of electronic payment or alternate payment method from what we would consider, you know, the paper check model are actually having a much easier time collecting fees and spending much less time of their workday or their staff's work time in that collections workflow. So it's actually a really good opportunity to make your life easier in terms of making the client's life easier, but also impacts the attorney's bottom line pretty effectively. And, and I'll say too, like not to, like I don't have accounts receivable. It's not a thing. And I'm not saying it's simply because we use online payment 
but I think it's a big part of it, right? That you just don't have to worry about. You make it really easy and the clients are okay with doing it and making the payments. And so, of course, it's not like the magic bullet to, to eliminate that, but I do think it's a, a good step in that, in, that process, in that journey to eliminate or severely or significantly reduce your accounts receivable. Well, I think most of us and most of our clients probably pay everything online anyway. I know when I have to write a check, I actually get annoyed. So being able to pay something online is, is a lot more convenient for sure. Right. And as someone who's hired an attorney who made them made me pay by check, I was like, oh, I picked the wrong attorney. <laughs> like that was my first thought. Totally understand that. All right. So let's move on to Joe for our 10th tip. We have two tips left. Automated SMS. Tell us what that's all about. Yeah. So I have to agree with what Kim was talking about earlier. I mean, there's there's so much that we can do to make things a little bit more easy for our clients, for our customers, a little bit the frictionless aspect of it, right? So that's really, really important. And so sometimes when I take a step back, I think about how we can actually make customer service great. It, it, when we do that, I feel like it has a soul and a personality, so to speak. So SMS communication, which if you're old school like myself, stands for short messaging system. It's known by text messages. That's really what it is. So we're just talking about text messages leveraged in the legal industry such that you're using it in a creative way to better engage with your client. That's simply what it is. So there's systems out there that allow you to send them quick text messages if you want to remind them of an appointment or to send a document in or whatever the case is. It allows those prompts easily, hopefully friendly, in such a fashion that they can engage a little bit more. Sometimes you'll drop in a URL that they can click on and maybe it's a survey, like, how are we doing? Like those types of things make it so that the customer experiences are a little bit more real because sometimes things become so big and automated that you just don't get the sense of what's happening. So they're non-invasive ways of actually communicating with with those clients, which I think is a pretty cool thing. So good old tool time. <laughs> so the tools that are out there for email workflows, one is Twilio, really powerful, really kind of a neat product. And the other is Text Magic. All right. And for our final tip, we'll go to Kim to talk about client portals and experience platforms. First, I think I feel like the flow of this has been really amazing to think through like what we're talking about here. And I, and I truly believe creating a great experience is what the next level of legal looks like, you know, for us to really think about why people are coming to us, where they're at, where they're at in their journey, whether it's because they are looking to, you know, resolve a small dispute or a huge dispute, right? Or, you know, get to the next opportunity, you know, maybe in the other side of when we're not, you know, you're not litigating. But, you know, client experience portals and and platforms to me are part of that. I think earlier we talked about emails being like the bane of all of our existence. Client experience portal platform can help you eliminate some of those like back and forth emails that get, you know, with clients going back and forth and bringing more security. We're thinking about like reducing friction, bringing organization, bringing clarity and transparency to what's happening, making it much more a collaborative approach and working alongside your clients and not being the only person in that experience, right? I think it's really important to think about these tools. So so for me, client experience portals and platforms, it's part of like how I've grown and thought about my, my journey as an attorney. And so, you know, you find them in tools now like Lawmatics where they just released a, a, a portal 
Clio already has a portal in theirs. Um, my case has a portal. So a lot of the, the platforms you're using today, think Locus, they they have they have portals already too. And then you have some standalone, like Clinked, which is one that is not a legal specific one, but that you can use in the legal um, in the legal industry that that brings more clarity and that's really focused in on on really that part of the experience, which is the client experience side, or things like, you know, my, my, my platform. So like shameless plug there, but like Fadu, you know, thinking through about how to, how to really design a, an experience that brings automated documents, that brings secure messages, that allows for clients to create, you know, create documents, complete forms, you know, see when their next meeting is, schedule meetings with you. And like having these tools that really make sense so that we're really thinking about what does the client need while they're while we're working with them in this small point in time in their life to resolve a dispute or to you know, achieve the next opportunity. So I, I think those client experience platforms and thinking about how a client or a customer of ours really goes through this journey that is intersecting with the legal industry and making it easier, making it frictionless and bringing some clarity and transparency is important. And I think th- these tools um, do that. And so that would be you know, mine. Kim, you- You brought something up that uh, I think I worked at a firm in 2018 and we rolled out, it it was a bankruptcy firm and we rolled out a client portal primarily for the purpose of document collection, because that was such a strong pain point that consumed so many hours of attorney time just to collect documents that are relatively repetitive. And so in our experience, just rolling that out with the client portal simply, and, and that was really one dimensional at the time, it was about four years ago, but it was really kind of designed one dimensionally, but that freed up so much more time that allowed the firm to take on more clients that that it otherwise previously wouldn't have. So there's really tangible benefits to just looking at what in your workflow fits within that space and finding that for, and sort of thinking about the journey from your client's perspective and where can they meet you. Yeah, 100% agree. And I think like that's like the portal versus experience platform. Like the portals, while they might be, you know, why they are somewhat one dimensional, it still achieves so much that it's worth implementing. And then when you're ready to take the next level or just jump to that next level with the experience platform, it really takes it from it being, you know, flat to like 3D, like that 4D, like that really more robust um, interactive experience. And that I think has always been the piece that's been missing in legal is to really dive deep into the client experience and thinking about it, whether from sales and communication and all the tools we talked about all the way to this experience. So yeah, completely agree. All right. So one last question. So I'm a big Google user, love Google Drive. Uh, My kids use it a lot in school. I use it a little bit in my law practice, not so much, but I've never used a client portal or client platform experience. So tell me what the difference is between the two and is there ethical principles surrounding, you know, confidentiality and that's kind of stuff that we need to be worried and worrying about using kind of a Google platform as opposed to one of these more, I don't know what the word is, maybe more private um, or more law practice specific platforms. So I don't know, Kim, if you want to take that one. Sure. I think, yeah, in any tech tool that you're using, you want to think through the ethical issues, right? And making sure there's a level of the privacy and security that that you're expecting. And so I think all the tools we mentioned today have those. And so that's important. I think when I'm a big Google user, I'm a Mac and Google user, so I'm a super fan of both products. And I think, you know, where we think of Google, thinking like the Google folder structure, there's, you know, one, using a paid Google, like a Google Workspace or Google for Workplace, I f- like I should know their new name, whatever the newest, the paid version of Google is the one that you want to be using as a business owner, not any of the free versions, only because, you know, you are risking, you know, how the terms of use that they have set up there. But when I think about comparing a Google 
platform to something like a client experience platform, their differences are probably tremendous in terms of like, how do you think about interacting with your clients? How do you automate pieces? How do you create work and organize work in ways that are designed for how your firm is set up, how your processes are set up, how your documents are set up to really be able to move through the automation and also bring some no code to it, right? Like I think some of, and I'm someone who's built some like lightweight automation via Google, like automating a form to a doc and auto creating it. So you can do all that stuff in Google, but you have to know how to build it. You have to know how to go into like the weeds. So I think what these platforms do is just give you back some, give, give you back some of your resources. Like you could spend the time building it, or you can say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use a tool that's more no code that allows for you to create that full on experience easily, you, leveraging your current process, your, your current systems, your current documents, and really creating this, this designed Design is going to say experience all the time, but a design place for a client to intersect with, whether it's through a dashboard or through a document or through a message, but it all in one place. And a lot of, I think, when you're moving to technology, the thing to also think about Google versus some of these other tools, too, is like how many ch- you know, touch points do you want your clients to have and how many tools do you want your clients to use? So what a client experience platform could do is like give ease to where they check in with you, too. Right. One place one login, they can access all all that they need. And then you as the firm has access to all the other tools that make it really great. But for the client's experience, it's just this one place and they see all these amazing pieces of how you work with them easily. And it's just about, you know, reducing the friction and allowing for teams to work more effectively. So they're not, unfortunately, in our industry leading to burnout, which is too, um, too common, unfortunately. I'm going to shamelessly plug uh, the Center for Innovation's Trends Report because Kim writes an awesome piece on there uh, from our 2022 edition uh, that looks at the ethical implications of technology and data privacy. So I think it's uh, required reading for anyone who's thinking about moving into this space. Cybersecurity. (laughs) And I'll add one thing if it's okay, Dave. I think what Kim has said was, was brilliant, and she's right on on all those different points. There's two things that I'll bring up really quickly. The movement afoot within the legal industry is towards a legal platform, which is imagine is a all-encompassing, almost data-gathering piece that you can then start piecing off and building workflows and analytical tools and all these calendaring, everything you possibly imagine, a, a portal, an extranet, all these things that allow for you as a practitioner or on the business or the practice of law to oversee what's going on. And they're starting off kind of simplistic, but they're growing. And to Kim's point, I think one of the biggest things that you as a, as a practitioner need to think about in the solo side and a smaller firm side is the, the cloud itself. Because a lot of these things are operating in the cloud. And my, my advice on the side would be that go with a trusted provider to cloud. So probably the bigger organizations that you know of, like the Microsofts or the Googles, sometimes the smaller clouds, well, we'll figure that out. You have to figure it out. You can do a little more due diligence on your, on your own, but that's uh, maybe more of a challenge. So just something to think about. Yeah. Th- and thank you so much for, for bringing that in and uh, something that I'll have to look into. So good, great food for thought for everyone. So we're coming to the end of our time together and really want to thank our friends from the ABA Center for Innovation for giving us all of these great tips. Uh, Joey, is there anything that else that we should know about the Center for Innovation? Uh, where can we get in, get in contact with you guys? Sure. We are in a few different places. We do a lot of our interaction on Twitter, as long as it's still there, which I know these days tends to be a bit of a hot button issue. But you can find us at ABA Innovation on Twitter, as well as uh, 
ABA Innovation on LinkedIn, which are two places you can follow our work. You can also find our website through the ABA website. And if you find the Center for Innovation, subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, we're going to be putting out a piece in January where we're actually putting some content through chat GTP and putting it in our newsletter and doing some AI-assisted drafting for that in January. So it'll be a lot of fun if you can check that out. All right. Perfect. Well, Don Bivens, Kim Bennett, uh, Joe Rosinski, and Joey Gartner, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. This was great. And now it's time for our quick tip from the ABA litigation section. So let's welcome back Daryl Wilson to the show. Daryl is Assistant General Counsel in the Litigation Center of Excellence at Honeywell International Incorporated. Thanks again for joining us, Daryl. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Well, let's uh, talk about some tips for the upcoming new year. Thanks a lot. Um, I hope everybody has enjoyed or had a great holiday season. And so now we're back with kind of a new set of tips for lawyers as we walk into 2023 that are really focused on kind of client hygiene and and, and building the relationship with your um outside counsel, and then also with the in-house lawyers. So today's tips would really be about the client relationships and meeting those clients' expectations in the new year. Uh, the three main things that you really want to focus on as you enter into the new year is, uh, and you're dealing with your matters is one, budgeting. And then the second, you want to look and look at your staffing and how you see that you have your matter staffed uh, within your internal organization. And then also, we want to make sure that we talk about communication and being responsive. So circling back to budgeting, as you have gone through the last year and mainly probably submitted your accruals or your budgeting and what that forecast looks like, as you walk into the new year, you want to take another look at that and, and figure out where you're going to go with the matter. And the best way to be as accurate as possible when you're preparing your budgets is to think about your case strategy and what will all need to be done within that uh, calendar year. So that really takes a look back into the strategy and maybe even talking with your um, internal counsel at the in-house organization and figuring out where are we going to take this matter this year? Is this matter set for trial? Is this matter just beginning and in its entry stages? You want to look at maybe responding to pleadings and even the discovery and uh, things such as mediation or settlement conferences or if it's set for arbitration. So these are all things that you want to look at as you prepare that budget. You also want to get with your third party vendors, whether that may be an e-discovery partner or other experts that you may think that you need to retain for this matter and get those budgets from them so that you can incorporate it into your overall budget as you prepare to get it back to your uh, in-house counsel. It's okay sometimes to be a little off with your budgeting, but you really want to make sure that you are nailing it down and trying to get it as precise as possible because your in-house counsel are pretty much using these figures to report back to their finance uh, person at their organization. And so while you go through the year, it's it's okay, but you also want to look at those budgets probably quarterly. You want to assess those budgets often throughout the year and figure out, are you on par with your budget or are you off? Do you need to reforecast with your in-house counsel? And that's going to be important because as you look to that, you want to make sure that you are keeping them in the loop. Obviously, they're watching your budgets and seeing where you're spending, but you also want to be a good steward of your budgeting in order to provide your in-house counsel with the updates so that they can provide updates within their organization when a number may need to be increased or decreased. 
Also, you want to be the most efficient and sufficient with your staffing. You want to make sure that you are utilizing the appropriate level of attorneys on your matters that are working on these things. So as you look at it, you want to make sure that you are appropriately using paralegals where they should be used, associates where they should be used, and partners where they should be used. So that all ties into the matter management. But what I will say is if you are not providing those updates, be prepared to meet with your uh, clients to discuss those matters and be able to provide updates because those updates are utilized by your internal counsel to provide updates to their uh, superiors in their organization. So you want to make sure that you are properly updating your clients so that they can properly manage those matters internally with their organization. Lastly, which also ties into those updates, is really being responsive in your reporting. Check your guidelines that your um, clients have provided to you to determine when you must report. Should you be reporting monthly? Should you be reporting quarterly? Make sure that you utilize their reporting structure. If they provided you with a template of a report, you want to make sure that you're utilizing what they've provided to you because the information that's being asked on those templates is very important to their organization. And so they want to make sure that they're getting those things from you so that they can properly assess matters. As you properly assess matters, you want to figure out, you know, is this matter right for resolution. If a matter is right for resolution, you want to have that discussion with your client to determine what may be the authority level that you need to seek in order to resolve those matters so that they can go to their internal individuals and request that authority and provide it to you. So these will, all these things really help your in-house counsel to be able to properly manage the matters and be able to report back to you. But also it builds that client um, relationship that you are looking for so that you can have repeat work and you want to make sure that in 2023 that you do not end up on your in-house counsel's naughty list. So these have been my tips for this year as we walk into the new year so that you can have a clean slate with your counsel, but also be as responsive as possible and provide them with what they need to ensure that the matter is managed properly. Well, thanks, Daryl. We definitely don't want to be on the naughty list. And communication is certainly uh, key to building and keeping uh, your relationships with uh, clients. So thanks, Daryl, for uh, giving us those tips today. No, I appreciate it. Thanks again. Well, that's all we have for our show today, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. If you have comments or a question you'd like for me to answer on an upcoming show, you can email me at dscrivenyoung, without the hyphen, at gmail.com, and connect with me on social. I'm at AttorneyDSY on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also connect with the ABA litigation section on those platforms as well. But as much as I'd like to connect with you online, nothing beats meeting in person at one of our next litigation section events. So please make plans to join us at the Environment and Energy Mass Torts and Products Liability Litigation Committee's Joint Regional CLE Program in Colorado, February 1st through the 3rd. This program will feature 10 presentations on hot litigation topics, including committee-specific substance, broader litigation interests, and ethics. In addition to an agenda of diverse educational and entertaining programs, there will be time to enjoy outdoor activities and networking with colleagues. So to find out more and for registration information, please go to ambar.org slash joint CLE. If you like the show, please help spread the word by sharing the link to this episode with a friend or through a post on social and invite others to join this show and community. If you want to leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, it's incredibly helpful. Even a quick rating at Spotify Podcasts is super helpful as well. And finally, I just want to quickly thank some folks who make this show possible. Thanks to Michelle Oberts, who's on staff with the litigation section for her help, as well as our fabulous producer, Rich Rivera. Thank you, Rich, for all of your hard work. Thanks also goes out to my fellow uh, co-chairs of the litigation section's audio contact committee, Josh Jones and Tyler True. Thank you to the audio professionals from Legal Talk Network. 
And last but not least, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.